Look out, something is going to get you tonight. Let's talk about the thing that's going to get you tonight. Welcome to the Happy Harvest Carve Show. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. I'm Corey. And I'm Brian. And this is the Happy Harvest Horror Show. And this is our Halloween episode. Yay! We made it! (laughs) (laughs) Happy Halloween, everyone. Hopefully you're listening to this on Halloween or after, but that's okay because uh, every day is Halloween. And we have a really fun Halloween topic to talk about today. Yeah, very, very on the nose for our Halloween special this year, our Halloween mm-hmm. episode. But before we get into it, we got to do it. I mean, it's it's big time spooky week. It's the mm-hmm. big spooky week. The spooky week. Brian, how spooky was your week? It was pretty spooky. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in other years and normal situations in the world, I think my, this week would have been a lot spookier. But we are in 2020. It is what it is. So my spooky week has been a lot of scary movies and other things. Um, so I've been going back and I've been watching some movies. And I was really excited to bring this up because I went back and watched the, I think it was 2006 or 2008, House of Wax movie with oh. Paris Hilton. Do you remember this? And Chad Michael Murray and your your favorite guy from Supernatural. <laughs> um, or maybe the other guy. I'm not sure which guy is your favorite from Supernatural. 50-50, <laughs> your favorite guy. I remember, I honestly don't know if I ever saw the movie, but I remember this. I remember it being a moment for sure. It was a moment. In the moment, I think, if I remember right, was everyone just bagging on it. Everyone hated this movie. Yeah, yeah. And it was a joke, especially with the Paris Hilton angle of it. I mean, the marketing was like, watch Paris Hilton die in this movie. So, but anyway, I was just Halloween. There's all this, you know, these specials going on. And I was like, you know, I'll go check that out. I want to see that. And I was going to double feature it with the Vincent Price one. Oh, fun. Yeah. So anyway, I just went back and watched it. And I'm here to report that that movie fucking slaps. It's so good. <laughs> it's so much fun. It takes like a good like half hour, 45 minutes to like lay ground pieces and, and kind of stumbles there. But once it's in, the atmosphere is like top notch. You're in this deserted town and you're finding out that all these people and all these, they're just all wax figures and not just wax figures. They're real people that have been made into wax figures, been killed and made into wax figures. And I got it's so good and it's so fun. And I think even Paris Hilton, I think she did great. And she did exactly what the movie was calling for and she did an awesome job. And I think looking back, that was just some baby back misogyny like hating on Paris Hilton you know that, yeah like, definitely definitely 100% she did great and I thought the movie was fun this the finale is nuts I don't know I like I was sitting there like kind of blown away like why does everyone hate this movie this this is a blast so anyway going back House of Wax very fun let's check it out I'm gonna have to check it out <laughs> I love some uh earlier 2000s nostalgia i'm all about i'm all about it it was a moment you know (laughs) like Mm -hmm. the 2000s horror was trying to figure out what was what but yeah it was cool it was real fun it was some like genuinely gnarly kills in there solid slasher if you're looking for a good slasher for this this season i I don't know go back go go check it out and then let (laughs) me know if you hated it still (laughs) but i thought it was speaking of going back as well i forgot to mention this in our 90s throwback episode a few weeks ago but i went back and <laughs> rewatched the backstreet's back music video yes 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 i cannot believe we didn't mention this in that music 1, video 1000 
percent yes <laughs> it's just the, the the dance in the casper ballroom with the uh every every backstreet boy is a different monster it is a riot going back and rewatching oh, that i'm like classic even our so pop good. music loved halloween when we were kids yeah I mean, I think they were doing a like 90s thriller thing, I think is kind of the angle that BSB was going for. Sure. But it was um, also like very, it was each kind of like a universal monster sort of theme. Everyone, yeah, you yeah. know, it was in a big scary. So that was rad. What else? What else? What else? Oh, we've just been watching a lot of scary movies. We're going through Shudder. You know, I love Shudder. There was a, a new anthology film called The Mortuary Collection. Which was very mm. fun, very good. If anyone has Shutter, go check it out. And if you don't, what are you doing? Go get Shutter and go check it out because <laughs> Shutter really needs to start paying us. <laughs> I will chill for them forever, uh, whatever. I think. I think just like at long last, we have a destination that's producing content, and not just acquiring great content. I love it. Yeah, the Mortuary Collection, super fun. He's like this uh, mortician main character. And he considers himself a curator of stories more than a mortician. And oh. so there's a woman that comes for a job because of the help wanted sign. And he tells these stories and they get increasingly more wild and crazy. Usually in anthology movies, the through line is really difficult. Sometimes there isn't even a through line. You know, sometimes it's like here's just a bunch of stories and sometimes it's super forced and all that. I mm -hmm. thought this one and throughout all the stories, they all felt like they existed in the same world. The aesthetic was great. It looked awesome it was filmed so well so mortuary collection really like interesting that's what i was up to what how spooky was your week oh pretty spooky i gotta say i gotta say it mm -hmm. um first off last weekend i i'm in california right now and me and my lady friends my gal pals we got like a little house in the middle of nowhere basically um in a vineyard and uh, hung out all weekend the four of us and we we did like a dry run of our Halloween costumes mm -hmm. and took a bunch of cool photos in a really just beautiful scenic area in our uh, four horsemen costumes mm -hmm. uh very pleased with how those turned out very spooky we're gonna you know be in them again on Halloween obviously but it was kind of uh, the chance to get the like good photos and like do it up. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then yesterday I'm staying with my friend in San Francisco and we were watching, we were watching BuzzFeed Unsolved. Of course. <laughs> Love BuzzFeed Unsolved. And they were at the Winchester Mystery House. And I was like, I've never been there. Like, I want to go to the Winchester Mystery House. And Jenny was like, I haven't been there since like middle school. Like, it's been so long. And then very quick impulse by looked it up, not even knowing if they were going to be like open or what the situation was going to be. And then they were, and then it was like, we have to go. So yeah, we went to the Winchester mystery house and wow. toured that shit. And it's, it's weird. It's weird. I'm a little jealous because apparently this time of year, they do late nighttime flashlight tours, like self-guided oh. flashlight tours. He's so cool. They're, they were all sold out because mm. we were like going to do that. But instead, we went at the very spooky hour of 3 p.m. on a Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, daytime witching hour, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. But it is. It's it's a cool house. I mean, it's a beautiful house. But it's weird, you know, there are there's stairs that lead to nowhere. There's little cabinets that you open and they're not actually cabinets. Like there's mm -hmm. just 
little like drop-offs and doors that lead to nowhere and lots of weird things. And for those unaware, the Winchester house is the, you want to say a little bit more about it, what it is? Because the story of it is, I think, maybe the spookiest part. So the Winchester Mystery House was built in very, very end of the 19th century mm-hmm. by one uh, Sarah Winchester. And she experienced a lot of grief, basically. Her husband, who was in charge of the Winchester rifle empire, basically, yep. uh, died. And then also she had a baby that died very, very, very young, did not live very long. And so she was on her own with a lot of money. And this was the end of the 19th century. So spiritualism, huge, very hot for people, Mm -hmm. especially people with money to be getting psychic readings and having seances and stuff like this. And she had been told on several occasions that like she was being haunted by spirits. And one of her psychic readings, like one of her readers told her that what she needed to do was continuously build onto the house Mm -hmm. because it'll confuse the spirits basically like all the hammering all the noise Mm -hmm. it'll confuse the spirits and then and then it became this process of intentionally like building a very confusing house yes in order to keep the spirits uh, lost and confused and that was like her life pretty much it was just yeah, her whole life was spent in this house, very spooked, very paranoid, and just continuously building on with no master plan. And since then, there's lots of stories of interesting activity. Some people say that the ghost of Sarah Winchester haunts the house, mm-hmm. as well as the ghosts of people she employed, you know, the people that lived there. Right, right. The souls that haunt it were said to be, those spirits were said to be everyone that had died from a Winchester rifle. Yes, that's one of the one of the stories. One yes. of the stories, which is a lot of people. There's yes. a really great, I mean, it's definitely historical fiction, but there's a great graphic novel called House of Penance. That's all about her. Ooh. Yeah, it's exactly what you're saying. It's It was like this kind of psychological thriller of her needing hammers to constantly be going yeah. and needing to keep building to keep them at bay as a way of, like the title says, paying penance for um, all the ill that the, the family business had brought. So. Yeah. And I was also told, I don't know if you know more about this because you're more of the movie buff, but there was a movie starring Helen, Wait, Helen Mirren, Mirren. Mm-hmm. and it was apparently terrible. I confess I've never seen it because of that. I, I heard it was yeah. just very abysmal, but it's not hard to find. I think it's on many streaming <laughs> yeah. services. So. It, which is just such a bummer because it seems like the story, there's just so much there. Kind of going back to our conversation um, with the last episode with like Bly Manor and everything. There's so much to that story that's ripe with like multiple kinds of hauntings, right? Like you have the right. actual haunting, but there's also like a psychological haunting that's going on. Like there's a grief <laughs> haunting. There's like multiple. It just seems like there's so much potential. And obviously Helen Mirren. Should have been a golden. It should have. Uh, but from what yeah. I heard, it was not. I haven't seen it, so I can't say. But it's such a shame. Well, it there it lives on in the graphic novel sense. So if that's the a medium that you enjoy, go check it out there because I thought that was a success. That was good. Yeah. Um. Also, if you want to see my little trip to the Winchester Mystery House, I made a TikTok on the Art History Babes TikTok. So if you're a TikTok kid, 
you're a TikTok teen TikToker. out there. TikToker. If you're <laughs> one a of those, if, if you're, you're a, a TikTok youths in the world, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you're a talker or a ticker. <laughs> um, yeah, you can go to at Art History Babes on TikTok and and see our fun little time we had yesterday, our spooky fun time. Also, if you're in the area, just letting you know, they were clutch in terms of COVID precautions, very spaced out, tons of hand sanitizer everywhere, all the windows open, like keeping things very like mass required. Like, so I felt very safe in the whole thing which is also nice I, I was there to get haunted not to get a disease there's a difference there's a difference um so yeah if you're in the area and want to do something kind of spooky and fun and also also historic lots of information you know it's kind of like a museum in there in a lot of ways so yeah it's yeah. a cool spot school spot san jose california winchester mystery house Hell yes. Yeah. I'm jealous. I'm jealous. I can't wait for next year. Hopefully uh, everything will be good. Everything will be good everywhere. <laughs> Please, Jesus, come on. <laughs> oh, you're praying to Jesus now. Wow. <laughs> Baby Jesus, please help. <laughs> Before we transition into our topic, which I'm I'm very excited to talk about our topic today. I think it's just going to be like a fun history lesson, kind of deep dive. But quick, want to shout out our newest supporter, Erica. Yes, Erica, thank you. What's up, Erica? We appreciate you. And yeah, if you'd like to become a supporter of Happy Harvest Horror Show, head over to anchor.fm slash H-H-H-S slash support. Yes, please. They make it super easy for you to just kind of throw your throw your coins at us, throw your extra change at us so we can keep making spooky content all year round because this is a all year round Halloween podcast. Yes. Yeah. I'm excited. They're our first episode after Halloween. I know. Me too. I'm like, huh, that'll be a interesting shift. I'm excited. I'm excited. But there's for so it much well. to talk about. So much in the spooky world. So much that's all year round. I can't wait for the Christmas spooky stuff. Oh, that yeah. That's going to be fun. That's going to be fun. There's undoubtedly some Thanksgiving spooky shit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's always spooky shit. There's always yeah. spooky, spooky shit hanging out. So stick with us. It's going to be fun. Yeah. But. For today, for our Halloween 2020 episode, we are doing a deep dive on the history of trick-or-treating. That little tradition. What's up with that? What's up with that? What is that thing? So we're going to get into it, but first, we should get a quick word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX is The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX is The Veil, now streaming only on Hulu. We're back. And we're going to give you the rundown on uh, trick-or-treating. Trick-or-treating. Yeah, it's a fun history. Going back and re refreshing on what led to the practice of trick-or-treating today, it's an unlikely path, and it's pretty fun. Yeah, and and it definitely has influences coming in from multiple directions and 
yeah, it's it's interesting. So um, maybe just to kind of, you know, start out, let's explain what trick-or-treating is in case it's something a listener maybe isn't super familiar with or didn't grow up with. If you are unfamiliar, I feel so sad because it's <laughs> such a staple of my childhood. Trick-or-treating is the act of dressing up in your Halloween costume and with a bag for goodies going door to door, ringing the doorbell or knocking. And when they answer, you say trick or treat and they give you a treat or they should. That's it. And then that's, that's the holiday. Yeah. And yeah. And that's what happens. And it's really, it's, it's that uh, simple, a simple transaction really. Um... <laughs> it's a business transaction. I have brought you myself in my costume. Give me candy. That means you give me candy and yeah, it varies what you can get. Sometimes when you're a Rome in the rich neighborhoods, you get the full bars like that's a that's always a good time. I was one with trick or treating. I would do for my bag. I would take I would decorate a pillowcase. Yeah, pillowcase. That's what I did, too. Yeah, because yep. you can like really, really get a good haul in a pillowcase because they're so strong. Mm hmm. Yeah, that was that was the way to do it. Those were the serious trick or treaters, like us with the pillowcases. Fill this thing up, <laughs> and we did. <laughs> it's funny to think about trick or treat like paraphernalia when you were a kids, because there are so many places now, antique Instagrams and stuff like that, that will pay lots of money for whatever pale or pumpkin mm -hmm. thing that you had at that time. Collecting is such a thing, and I wish I had any of my, you know, little pumpkin yeah. pile, any of my little jack-o'-lantern flashlights or anything, because it's, it's 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 shocking how much money people will spend on that kind of stuff today. Totally, totally. So yeah, that's I mean, that's basically what it is. At least you know what it was in our childhood. Pretty much what it is today. It's a fun tradition, and it has some really interesting roots it goes yeah. back it mm -hmm. goes back starting with the celts of course remember them <laughs> remember those guys if you listen to our Sawin episode some of the things that were even said in that episode connect to the practice of trick-or-treating mm -hmm. and a lot of people historians would trace trick-or-treating back to celtic tradition Sawin traditions the farthest back just dressing up as spirits was mm -hmm. a thing. The Celts would dress up as like evil spirits. Mm -hmm. uh, there was an ancient Celtic tradition of disguising oneself with an animal skin to, to drive away phantoms. Mm -hmm. And often they would also set out food to placate spirits. So right. there was this act of like a treat for the spirits to kind of keep them happy and nourished. <laughs> yeah. I might be off on when I think it was during this time, but souling. Have you, do you remember yes. seeing this? So it's also called, yes, it's souling. It's also known as mumming. Mm -hmm. And this came to be around the ninth century. Basically the point where Sawin was being Christianized is when, this became a thing. Right. So we're in that transition period between pagan and Christian and uh, children. And then also sometimes poorer adults would dress up in costumes. And mm -hmm. then they would go door to door begging for food or money in exchange for songs and prayers. Often these songs and prayers were said on behalf of the dead. Right. Right. Which is a nice gesture. Yeah, like, hey, yeah. I'll, I'll sing your grandma a nice little tune if uh, 
give me a candied apple. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's what they're eating back then. Candied apple <laughs> and uh, popcorn strings. Yep. That's- <laughs> That's not. <laughs> um, actually, what they uh, would often receive were pastries called soul cakes. So soul was a whole thing. It was souling. Uh, the children are often called soulers, and they would get soul cakes. Mm-hmm. Tasty. So, so we're talking a lot about the soul. And as I mentioned, this is a lot of Christian influence here. So you can kind of see that like religious influence in this act. Right, right. Which was essentially, and I'm bringing this up because it'll kind of come up later on when we get to more contemporary, but it started as begging, like trick-or-treating started as begging. Right, right. In the purest sense, like, please give me something, you know, I can sing for you in return. I can say a prayer for you in return. Yeah. And there was also Scotland and Ireland. There were traditions of young people also uh, doing a tradition called guising, where they dressed up in a costume, exactly what we're saying. Mm -hmm. But just to further broaden what they would do for the treat, if you want to say treat at that time, they would also tell the people jokes or perform some sort of, we're using quotations here, trick, because they didn't use the word trick, but do some sort of action in exchange for collecting their treat. And this treat usually consisted of fruit, nuts, or coins. Yeah, so some kind of some kind of little jig, something kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Do you want to move on to a little closer to modern? Well, I guess this isn't modern. This is 16th century, but... Guy Fox is that yeah, where you're exactly going? Yeah, that's exactly where I'm going. Yep. <laughs> Guy Fox, if anyone doesn't know or hasn't seen the movie V for Vendetta, uh, he was a Catholic that led this Catholic-led conspiracy to blow up England's parliament to remove King James I, a Protestant from power. This plan did not work. He was... Nope. Nope. He was executed. And they made a whole holiday around him being executed uh, in this gunpowder plot uh, where on November 5th, uh, British children would wear masks and carry little effigies begging for pennies. They would say, quote, a penny for the guy. And so, yeah, by the 19th century, these children wearing these masks and carrying these effigies were roaming the streets on the evening of November 5th. So this is just another example of kids in costume asking for things. Yeah, only this... This one was in celebration of someone's execution. So that's super dark, real dark, real dark. Um, mm-hmm. But that was a yeah, that long held tradition went on for years and years and trickled over into America, into the United States. Yeah. And a big reason that trickled in was we're now jumping to the mid 19th century. And there was a big thing called the potato famine. If anyone uh, yes. Uh, yes. Oh, uh, yes. The potato famine. Yeah, I know it well. <laughs> Where more than a million Irish and Scottish immigrants immigrated around this time. And when they're immigrating, so are their traditions, what they did yes, and what their yes, family yes. did. So in the mid 19th century, we start seeing new American traditions start popping up or, or variations, you know, as it goes down the telephone game of history, <laughs> as it gets to America, it's now turning into something else. Totally, totally. That uh, mass immigration led to some of these practices coming over here. You know, it's not, you can't really say that that's fully where trick-or-treating came from. There's kind of a mix of things going on, but mm-hmm. elements of it are definitely at play with with right, a lot right. of, um, yeah, the Irish immigrants. Trick-or-treating didn't really show up in the United States until really like the early 1900s. Some point to around the 20s, but it was kind of happening before that in certain ways. 
in a very loose way. <laughs> right. And it was happening. I think this is a big part of it. It was happening because around this time, this night was turning into a night of uh, mischief, that there were kids everywhere that were using this night as a night of pranks and tricks. Mm -hmm. um, and this was also around the time of the Depression. And around this time, the pranks were awful. They were getting really hard to manage. And I have this quote from a turn-of-the-century guide on boys crafts that called this night quote the only evening on which a boy can feel free to play pranks outdoors without danger of being quote pinched and it is his delight to scare passing pedestrians ring doorbells and carry off the neighbor's gates after seeing that his own was unhinged and safely placed in the barn even if he is suspected and the next day made to remove the rubbish barricading the doors, lug back the stone carriage step, and climb a tree for the front gate. The punishment is nothing compared with the sports the pranks have furnished them. This is from the book Trick or Treat that I mentioned. Uh, the, I think our Samhain episode where I talked about this has this great history of Halloween. And this mentions it had become this ritualized thing every year that kids would do these pranks that were like in this instant, taking off gates and taking mm -hmm. them away. Yeah. A lot of like what I saw even more so like kind of went even further than that. Like almost like Halloween was like a purge night uh, to some degree. It was. In the early years anyways, like it was it was even, you know, oftentimes more than just tricks and, and taking gates off of things like there was vandalism, but also violence. Like there was yeah. also a lot of violence uh, assaults. There would be a lot of assaults. Like it was a scary night. And yeah, uh, the, the youths just went nutty, like just went <laughs> wild. So it wasn't so much this like cute, fun time to get candy. Not yet. Not yet. Yeah. In Not fact, yet. it was like, it was like a scary night of vandalism. Um, right. Yeah. The tipping point, tipping point I, I have here is 1933, which was dubbed the Black Halloween, where it was so bad that the vandalism was now described being done by, quote, hoodlums instead of kids. The vandalism, instead of taking gates and doing little things, now they were sawing down telephone poles, overturning automobiles, <laughs> opening fire hydrants to flood the city streets. Like it was... 1933 black halloween and that around this time there was a maybe a nationwide consensus like we gotta we gotta figure this out we gotta fix this so this is where it gets kind of confusing um or interesting because and this is something it's just how history works right is like we like to create a very clean timeline of history and how it all like played out but usually like shifts and things happen at different times in different places and it all kind of blends together and there is a fantastic episode of Drunk History that uh, tells the story of Elizabeth Krebs. And she is a woman from Kansas, I believe. Kansas yep. or Missouri, who has been considered the mother of Halloween. And according to Drunk History, this is like 1912. So we're talking further back. And Halloween is crazy. You know, youths are out here wiling and destroying shit. And basically, Elizabeth Krebs is sick of it. So she basically decides to throw like this rager of a Halloween party for the kids, for the younger people to kind of get their energy out to like basically make yeah. them too tired to vandalize shit. 
and like ruin her garden and stuff. So she throws this huge party. You got the bobbin for apples. You got, you got people marching through the street singing songs. I don't really know if there was a trick or treating element to this, but not yet. No, there was this communal party this communal celebration like really get out your energy she did it once it still didn't work it kids still destroyed shit she tried again the second year and it did work there was a huge difference in the amount of destruction that happened that night because yeah. of this dope party that she threw and so she is often kind of credited as one of uh, responsible for one of the early examples of basically like a community sanctioned halloween celebration or like yeah something a, a little bit more still fun but like a little a little cuter a little a little safer a little more yeah. like in everyone's best interest exactly and that was kind of emulated other places too and by other organizations like towns and other civic groups kind of like boy scouts and ymca and other civic groups that found these alternatives for something to do and like you said they would have parties costuming carnivals contests around this time and schools also took a huge part in this by entertaining during the halloween season and by making these basically entire cottage industries, creating little Halloween booklets targeted towards kids mm. and teachers. And in these little booklets, they had these little morality plays of like, hey, Jimmy, are you going to go vandalize tonight? And Jimmy's <laughs> like, no, I'm going to go to a party. You know, they was, sure am not. <laughs> sure am not. I'm a good Christian boy. And so go get some sweets down at City Hall. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you know it? Gee, golly, can I come? You bet. <laughs> And these books were popular from 1915 to 1950. And like I said, they featured these poems, little plays, and it was part of this big push to keep kids from not thinking of this night as a big prank night instead of reframing it as like, it's a fun Halloween season. We're going to have these parties and whatnot. And that was all well and good during the day in school. But another big problem is nighttime. That was the time where all the vandalism was happening. So you mm -hmm. can keep them distracted in school during the day. Like, but how do you keep them at night? And exactly what you're saying, they would have all these house parties where you could go. But remember, again, this was during the Great Depression. So resources were not uh, widely available. Everyone yeah. wasn't rich and they throwing these ragers. So the solution was people would come up with a kind of house to house party pooling system where they would pool their resources together and kids were guided from one house to the next. Each have a different theme and they would go through that throughout the night which is, uh, you guess it, this is early trick-or-treating. Boom, trick-or-treating, that's what you got. That's that's what that is. That's what you have. Which really is, yeah, ultimately what trick-or-treating is. It's like a giant citywide potluck of candy. You love to see it. Yeah, that just like everyone kind of agrees on. And this is this is interesting too because I read that in the earlier years, um, so in the early years when it's still kind of a mess there's still a lot of mischief going on before trick-or-treating was the well-known tradition it is today mm -hmm. it was really common for children to have to like explain to adults what was going on imagine imagine you're just a middle-aged person in the early 1900s in your home and some small children knock on your door, you open it there in weird costumes, creepy costumes, and they're like, oh, you're supposed to give us candy. <laughs> Didn't you hear, Gramps? You gotta give me candy. Fork it over. <laughs> it's a pretty weird thing, right? Like, yeah, if you're yeah. not 
used to it being a thing if it hasn't become ubiquitous yet it's it's a pretty odd thing but that's kind of how it worked in the beginning like a lot of people didn't really know about it until there were kids at their front door and then they'd find a treat in their house for them I think there probably were instances of like it was a little more threatening even you know like give us a treat yeah exactly give us a treat or like we're gonna stomp on your rose bushes or something like that but but yeah so over time it became this more communal thing like you said like a potluck type thing there was also a an early backlash against the concept in america because it was seen as begging and Mm. no big shocker there because we know how americans feel about poverty oh yeah so there Mm. was like an american ethos kind of you know backlash like we're not going to send our kids around begging door to door, like, you know, because yeah. I don't know. That's not the American way. <laughs> well, we were still trying to figure out what the American way was at this time, you know? Yeah, <laughs> like, right. We were World War II just about to hit it. We were just about to figure out what the American way was. But this was also, it's funny you mentioned too, like history is, is not a straight line. It's all over the place. And at the same time as this all was happening, there were other traditions, not even harvest traditions, Christmas traditions mm. up in Canada called bell snickling. Have you heard about bell snickling? I've heard this word. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's derived. It remi- it's uh, the office when uh, a Dwight is like the bell schnickel or whatever. <laughs> Remember yeah. that? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm guessing yeah. it's related to this concept most maybe i mean it's derived from a german a mumming tradition you mentioned mumming already known as peltsnickel and belsnickling was performed in the eastern areas of the usa and canada and consisted of groups costumed participants moving from house to house offering small tricks in exchange for treats or food or drink and notably in nova scotia specifically the Bill Snickler's performers would deliberately frighten young children who that who had been bad that year. Um, so now we're we're also introducing these elements of fright with this holiday, and this by some attributed to the Halloween trick or treating because a newspaper in 1927 in Alberta, Canada, trick or treating was first used but they didn't mention costumes or anything in that case they were just it was just the first mention in association with halloween saying the words trick or treat mm-hmm. and this way it made its way through the way northern usa in oregon they started having these trick-or-treat traditions start showing up and then in 1939 there was an article titled victim of the window soaping brigade oh. it, it refers to trick-or-treating as an age-old salutation age-old halloween salutation sorry and made it plain that the practice was a method of subverting rowdy pranksters. So this is the first national instance where we've said trick-or-treating, this is what it is, age-old Halloween tradition, even though we just came up with it. (laughs) And and it was a way to subvert rowdy pranksters. That's one of the easiest ways to get people to fall in line with new shit, is just say we've been... We've been doing it for a long time. Like, you should probably get on board. <laughs> yeah, it's been always been a thing. And we mentioned the, the door-to-door party, pooling resources and all that. And that 
resource pooling wasn't needed not long later because once the World War II came to a close, rationing was over and luxuries like candy suddenly became available, making a huge push to the Halloween practice of actually giving out candy because before it was, like we said, it was nuts, it was apples, other treats, and now suddenly we're introducing candy, which is a big part of trick-or-treating. Candy time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I also read one of my uh, sources, couldn't you know pinpoint precisely where and when the phrase trick-or-treat was coined, but they did mm-hmm. bring up The custom had been firmly established in American popular culture by 1951 when trick-or-treating was depicted in the Peanuts comic strip. Yes. Mm -hmm. And then also brings up 1952, Disney produced a cartoon called Trick-or-Treat featuring Donald Duck and his Mm -hmm. nephews. Who we doing, Louie? We know him well. (laughs) So, uh, you know, just a good example of how how traditions really do come to be. Usually there is a point like this where it gets grasped by popular culture in some way. You know, in this sense, a very popular comic strip and then a popular cartoon. And then from there, then it's, you know, it's game over after that. It's just like. It's game over. It's game over. Trick or treat is. out of the bag. And always will be from here on out, pretty much. So talking about the craze of trick-or-treating, it made candy a huge, uh, it's third big candy holiday, basically, right? We had Valentine's Day, we had Christmas, and now we have Halloween. Early in 1800s, the early candy that was associated with this day was everyone's favorite candy corn. And it wasn't widely distributed until 1920, but 1880 is when it first started being made. Candy corn tastes like it was made in 1880. (laughs) (laughs) But chocolate became the preferred trick-or-treating treat because it was neatly wrapped. And so Mm. parents didn't have to make nuts and popcorn balls and apples that you could just give away these neatly wrapped little candy bars. Yeah, that is handy. That's definitely Mm -hmm. helpful. According to uh, History.com, Americans spend an estimated $2.6 billion on candy every Halloween. That's a lot. That's a lot of money. Yeah. And of that 2.6, as of 2009, chocolate made up for $1.9 billion of that. Wow. Just chocolate. Wow. In 2009, it was reported that chocolate companies sold 598 million pounds of chocolate and this also 2009 why do i why do i keep using the word 2009 this was also the year that chocolate beat out christmas and valentine's day as as the top u.s holiday in terms of chocolate sales yes it's definitely still just yeah most most years halloween is pretty much neck and neck almost with christmas in terms of just just retail in general, just like as a business, like Halloween as a business, yeah. it's considered the number two, I think, most lucrative holiday, but it's like, it's right up there. It's edging in on Christmas. Mm-hmm. And as the as the saying says, a rising tide lifts all ships. And also hearkening back to our pumpkin spice episode, mm-hmm. this brought out a bunch of other people wanting to jump on this. And notably, like... Um, the 1950s, when grocery stores started selling trick-or-treat bags, they got on that hype whack and they're like, well, you're going to eat a little bag. So, and we, we have a lot of bags. So get <laughs> yes. your trick-or-treat bag. We can sell bags. We can do we that. Can 
Yeah. <laughs> and there was also toy companies that made like noisemakers and jack-o'-lantern illuminated treat collector. These became staples. And so everyone's like, oh, shit, this is a whole thing. And how much money did chocolate make? Yeah, we're going to hop on this. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and yeah, and then it just it just became a phenomenon. And I know you're wondering, well, hey, guys, wasn't this this was made to uh, dissuade pranksters from staying away uh, from making pranks? Did, did it work? Uh, yeah, no. Yes, it doesn't happen on Halloween anymore. It now just happens on October 30th, where it's called <laughs> Mischief Night or Devil's Night or Damage Night or Goose Night. So after all this work to dissuade pranksters, the pranksters just were like, nah, actually, we'll just do it a day before and have candy. I don't I, I don't feel like I don't I don't know. It, obviously, I wasn't around in the early 1900s, so I can't say. But just like from the stories I've heard, though, like, yes, obviously, like. The hoodlums are out there getting into trouble, and that's kind of part of it. But I, I just don't feel like it's as like scary and violent as it probably used to be. I think it's there's, yeah. it's tamer. It's more just like we're getting into some shit. Sure, but there's still it's still happening. I mean, I can remember growing up as kids and the the Halloween day seeing many many a tree in people's yards being covered in tp you know exactly that, which is i guess that's the point i'm trying to make way tamer than like than like overall down telephone yeah yeah you know, exactly. like, like overall yeah i've tp'd many a tree in my day you know the playful playful prank it's fun vandalism exactly <laughs> exactly fun vandal vandalism also you know like breaking into haunted houses and stuff like that whereas it sounds like in the beginnings before trick-or-treating was a thing it was like like you said violent like it was a little more like people would get hurt yeah. Yeah. A, a scarier thing whereas yeah it's more like um yeah fun vandalism sure <laughs> exactly. i just think it's really funny that, that after all this work and even like i would say trick-or-treating as a tradition huge success well done you've made it you know like, yeah, yeah, you did it <laughs> you've done it and after all of that we now recognize october 30th as an official prank night yeah that it didn't dissuade it just like maybe dissuaded on that day you know oh but uh, we would be remiss to say of all the other people that jumped on this holiday charity also got in there with unicef where yes. like, oh yeah united, right the united nations international children's emergency fund where in addition to trick-or-treating kids could also collect donations for unicef which is so evil genius brilliant mm -hmm. that like you You've got little kids dressed up coming to your door and going, can you give to the Children's Emergency Fund? Like, you're going to yeah. fucking say no, you of know? Of course I can. <laughs> yeah. like, obviously. Yeah. No, that was a good good one to bring up for sure. We have to discuss before we wrap this up, though. We we must. We simply must discuss. I don't know if it's still a thing. Obviously, it's been a really long time since I was a kid, but it was 100% a thing in the 90s and in the 80s. We were told constantly mm -hmm. that there were going to be fucking razor blades in our candy. Check your candy. Check your candy. It's going to be full of poison and razor blades. So like that was I'm, that was really the thing and I'm so happy you brought that up because I have a really great excerpt from this book Trick or Treat. Can I read it to you real quick cuz it kind of tracks where this came from? Sure. In 1964, a New York housewife named Helen File, I think how you say that last name, was upset at a number of trick-or-treaters whom she thought were too old to be demanding candy and handed them packages of 
dog biscuits, Mm -hmm. poisonous ant buttons, and steel wool. And within three years, because that's how urban legends happen, urban legends of children being given apples with razor blades, suffocated, and parents begin to worry that maybe Halloween isn't that good of a thing. (laughs) Stories of anonymous psychos hiding everything from arsenic to LSD and Halloween treats became rampant, especially following the case of eight-year-old Timothy Mark O'Brien. Yes. This is a Candyman murder, right? Yeah, who died in 1974 after eating a cyanide-laced pixie stick. That little Timothy's murder was eventually linked to his father, Ronald Clark O'Brien, but that didn't matter in the public imagination. It was already happened. Kid died, you know, eating poison candy. And the fear of a madman who was out poisoning children on Halloween had already been introduced. And so, yeah, so that that's how urban legends fly. There's one bad case, and now it's, do you have one in your neighborhood? How are your yep. apples? Always check your candy. Always check it. Yeah, I, I found those same stories that it got linked back. Also... Also, it was just a mention of how this threat tends to be heightened and exaggerated when there is something kind of similar or something that can kind of uh, play on those same fears. Another Mm -hmm. time when we saw just a really big upward exaggeration of your candy being full of poison and razor blades was after the Tylenol murders of the 1980s, where it's actually still an unsolved murder case. It's a really interesting story. You should look it up, but Mm -hmm. there were laced Tylenol was sold in stores and people died. Jesus. Uh, Yeah. Um, It was, it was a whole thing. It was not cool. And yeah, obviously someone was responsible for that, but so it's very easy to take that, which is a true thing that happened in the eighties and then be like, well, you could eat, you know, lace candy. You could, you know, kind of take that fear and attach it to this Halloween candy thing. Also, there have been sociological studies done on what is known as, I love this term, Halloween sadism. Whoa. That is the terminology, the academic terminology for this act of poisoning Halloween candy. Jesus. Halloween sadism. And luckily, the studies that have been done across the board, the threat is pretty egregiously exaggerated. Yeah. It really isn't much of a thing. Yes, we have these few instances where something along those lines has happened, but... I couldn't find any stories. Obviously, your book doesn't have any stories of someone who was just handing out laced candy or candy. Or where'd the razor blades thing come from? There are no stories of candy with razor blades no. in them in reality. But I re- that is so burned into my memory. I just always that's, thought... That's how urban legends go. It's like you you, you have this, this base story, and then as it the game of Telephone of History goes mm-hmm. through, you start being like, oh shit, how can we make this more fucked up and more dramatic and more, you know, yeah. as we're retelling the story. And so eventually you start with... Yeah, there is uh, LSD laced chocolate bars to suddenly like we've got knives in our apples, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So there's a there's a loaded gun in that Snickers bar. <laughs> 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 oh God! But yeah, but even after all of this, Halloween refuses to die. It keeps. It will going. not. It will not. Halloween is eternal. It's eternal and it really is a it's a beautiful tradition. It's a tradition I very much love. It's also the communal aspect of it. Like there just is not another time 
in contemporary culture where, yeah, children can just go door to door and, and knock and get candy. And it's like the safe, happy thing. And like, because mm-hmm. there's a lot of trust in trick or treating, too. Yeah. Yeah. That's nice to me. It is. I think I I mean, I've been away from being in a suburban, you know, neighborhood since I was a kid. And I've kind of reminisced and wondered, is it all gone? Or maybe it's just, I'm not seeing it because I've not haven't lived in a neighborhood and during trick or treating in years. But I have seen it basically pivot and emulated in different ways. Like I lived in New York City and I would see it. They wouldn't come to our doors in the apartments, but they would go from corner store to corner store, you know, yeah. and that's how the tradition kept going. So the, the trick-or-treating still lives on, I think, in different ways. I think it's it's worth noting that different areas do it different ways. Yeah, like exactly. I, there was also, when I was a kid, you can go to the mall and trick-or-treat from door to door in the mall from each of the stores. I think that's still a thing. Yeah. Okay. Just speaking of from around where we grew up, I think it's still pretty similar to how like it's still you go down the block, you like go door to door. And I'm I, I'm pretty sure I've heard some ads on the radio about like trick or treating at the mall, okay. you know, so that's still a thing. Don't they do like a zoo thing too, like trick or treating? Oh, at the yeah. Zoo? Yeah, they do like a midnight or not midnight because they're kids, but like <laughs> eight o'clock, you know, trick yeah. or treating. Yeah, yeah. I do remember in high school, like the the pride I kind of got uh, when I was like, I'm gonna be handing out the candy this year. And I'd stay <laughs> home and watch, you know, the the sci-fi Halloween marathon, whatever was on, and and hand out candy. I loved that. I can't wait for that to happen again. Hopefully, yeah, it will. totally. I was definitely the kid that took trick or treating super seriously. Like I was not yeah. fucking around. Like I was there to get the biggest haul, and I was typically the kid that was out like later than all the rest of the kids I have a distinct memory of maybe like fifth grade fifth or sixth grade going out with my friends and then like my friends had to go home and I was like whatever chumps and I just like kept going door to door getting candy to the point that like this like it was almost completely like pitch black out and I remember like being at someone's door and they were like where like where are your parents like where (laughs) too many questions ma'am give me the candy (laughs) It's like, is this Halloween or is this Halloween? (laughs) (laughs) Your your light is on. That is the telltale sign that you are open for business. And I am here for the candy. Just pass it on over. Thank you very much. (laughs) I have I have such good memories. I remember there was one Halloween when I was a kid, and it was at this time we had lived out, we called it out in the country. We're we're kind of outside of the main city of Sioux Falls. And I went up to one house and they had what I thought was a big stuffed scarecrow sitting at this lawn chair at the front door. And I went and knocked and being a naive little eight year old being like, I'm waiting for candy. And then the scarecrow turned out to be an actual man and jumped out (laughs) as a kid. You don't see that coming. And I, that just brings more joy. And I love little ways that people spice up the holiday and do things like that I, yeah and also stuff like um that also just reminded me yeah because i used to love love that shit too and also the people that like aren't going to be home and so they leave like a bowl of candy yes. on the front porch like what's that please so take nice? one yeah and you never do no you take half that bowl yeah <laughs> but it's still so nice like it's just a cool thing that we communally like collectively as humans we're just like yeah yeah this is what we'll do on this night every year you know yeah yeah and it does bring a lot of joy to a lot of people 
we'll probably get into this because I know in the future we'll we'll definitely do like a, a haunt and a maze episode. I would love to do that. But I just thinking about candy and Halloween and being a kid. Did your local grocery store ever make little mazes out of like Coke? Boxes? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I just had that memory come to me, and I always loved the going into. We have if you're not from the Midwest, High V is a big um, oh, grocery chain. Beautiful. Love Hy-Vee. Shout out Hy-Vee. Hy-Vee. And they would, that you would come in and they would have just like Coca-Cola boxes, 12 packs, and they would make an actual, you know, have like a thousand boxes. They would make a maze that you walk through. And it's not scary. It takes like two seconds to walk through it. But that effort is what I love about this whole thing. Yeah, exactly. Just that little, that little extra, that little extra something. It just, and yeah, and it's interestingly with Halloween, it feels often like people don't even mind doing it. Like they're happy to do the extra thing. They're excited. They're excited to buy the candy to give to the kids. They're, you know, they're happy to do these little extra things. And it's, it's a beautiful time. There's a real lovely sense of community that comes with trick or treating. Mm -hmm. And yeah, just even at its core, a sense of taking care of each other, right? Like that's, we're we're just giving for no other reason, but that you showed up at my door. Like that's something we can take into our daily lives, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's the best time of the year. Best time of the year. Best time of the year. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious to see, I'm sure we'll see different examples of how people kind of handle I don't even know what Halloween's gonna look like I don't know because I know there's I've been seeing some ways people like kind of trying to figure out how trick-or-treating could work and like Mm -hmm. obviously some cities are banning it and like and I'm just I'm interested to see what actually happens and how people handle that yeah or how they get creative because if nothing else like human beings are adaptable right we adapt to things we figure out ways to to do things in new ways. Right, exactly. Think speaking on the creativity, I saw on Instagram, I think it's in Brooklyn, where a homeowner made a dragon candy shoot from his front door to the street. It, it, that is a fun, creative way of like, put your hands in front of the, the dragon mm-hmm. and then the candy will shoot down as I drop it in. And that's like a nice socially distanced way to keep it going. So yeah, I'm excited to see more instances. Uh, yeah, my, um, my cousin didn't make a dragon one, but... Uh, he lives in Chicago, in the suburbs of Chicago, and he made like a shoot from their door too. Yes. And I was like, that's fun. I hope, I wonder if this will like making more, you know, in Halloween's in the future when we're not, you know, in a pandemic and have to socially distance. I wonder if shoots will, will, will remain. Will yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. they're just so fun. Exactly. Because it's just fun. Exactly. <laughs> and then 50 years from now, we're like, where'd the shoot come from? And you'll be like, old and hopefully still alive and be like i remember (laughs) the year that almost wasn't halloween the year was 2020 and (laughs) and it was a nightmare (laughs) but we Uh, persevered we prevailed and we had halloween (laughs) we had halloween what halloween is what is it going to look like for you this year what is what is some traditions you're going to do like what am i going to do on halloween this year yeah basically just hang out with my very small group of friends that i've been with Mm -hmm. we're all going to get into our costumes so me and you know my my group costumes there's four of us and then like (laughs) we have two friends who's uh 
they're basically like their Halloween plans is just to get in costume and like a uh, roller skate around. <laughs> so we're just going to like hang out in costume and like roller skate. That's like, <laughs> hell yeah. Hell that's, yeah. The, that's kind of the plan. A friend of mine who has a very big backyard was like, we could probably do some like jack-o'-lanterns outside, you know? So we'll, we'll probably do that. We'll probably do some jack-o'-lantern carving. Hell yeah. Obviously none of the crazy partying that tends to go on on Halloween, but we'll still have a good time. I'm excited yeah. about it. Yeah. What about you? Well, it's going to be home this year and that's, I mean, that's okay. It's usually, we usually have a Halloween party as how we've done it in the last few years. Sadly, we've moved out of New York and we're, we're here right now, but I won't miss my yearly tradition of watching trick or treat my favorite Halloween movie. If you haven't yeah. seen it, it's become, it wasn't always mainstream. And now I think it's basically there, but I don't care. It's, it's, oh, it's, yeah, still it's great. blown up. It's, it's like, blown up. People love it. People love it, but I it's it holds up. It's still good, and we got to keep blowing it up. So Michael Doherty makes a trick or treat too. We have to will it into existence. It is this great anthology. It's just all about uh, the rules of Halloween and and these different stories, all loosely connected about on Halloween night. So check it out if you haven't. It's so good. Trick or treat, and I'll probably watch one or three of the Halloween movies because I love it so much. And then drink a lot of pumpkin things. Like right yeah. now, I'm drinking a pumpkin beer called he would love this the the great pumpkin spice Aww. and it's got little peanuts all over in a pumpkin patch yes i do love that <laughs> great pumpkin spice i so love shout it out to platoon brewing company for this really adorable and uh, amongst the peanuts in the pumpkin patch talking about mainstream there's sam from trick-or-treat just hanging out in the background oh my goodness. <laughs> it's all of it all rolled it's into all one it. i love that sam has become this icon of halloween and i hope it brings more people to watch that he's movie. pretty cute like he's so a darn cute. pretty cute <laughs> and then you see what's under the mask and it's it's less cute <laughs> but it's like still cute somehow. Like that's yep. the interest. Like yeah, it's obviously creepy, but it's like still kind of cute. Like because mm -hmm. he's still got the little body, and you're like, oh okay. Like yeah, hell yeah. yeah. It's a cute little guy. Well, I'm I'm you know excited all the same. This has been a different Halloween, but Halloween all the same, and we love it so much. And we're I'm gonna put all my hopes and wishes into 2021. Being a full blown, I'm gonna jet set all over the place, go to all my haunts again, do everything. I cannot wait. Brian, Brian around the world, just Halloween tourism all over I'd the be place. Exhausted. <laughs> We'd be so tired. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess that's how we'll we'll round it out. Happy Halloween, everyone. We're gonna take uh, a one week break after this. Corey is you're traveling and I'm gonna be moving next week. Yeah, we so, need a we need a post Halloween breather. We need to just right, soak so. it up and, and just relax for a minute. And but yeah, this is a uh, year round spooky podcast, so we will be back. No worries. Yep, second week of November, we'll be back to talk about spooky shit. And in the meantime, let us know how you're celebrating Halloween this year. I know it's different, and I'm so curious how people are doing it. Get in touch with us. We're dying to hear about it. Yeah, Instagram at Happy Harvest Horror Show. Gmail, Happy Harvest Horror Show at gmail.com. Send us an email. Yeah, just we're around. You can find us. Yeah, absolutely. We have a listener mail, a fun one that we yeah. we wanted to read and respond to. What do you got, Brian? 
Well, yeah, we got an email from Jillian. Thank you so much for emailing in. This is really great to hear. Uh, and this was in response to our 90s gateway horror episode. And she says, hi, Corey and Brian. Just finished listening to the 90s gateway episode. When y'all were talking about kids finding just finding everything out on YouTube, I was like, Ah, my girlfriend's son is six years old and he is glued to her phone watching YouTube all day. He watches gaming playthroughs and definitely does not know what he's watching, but he's very smart and picks up on a lot. Anyways, one of the gamers he watches must have been playing some Pennywise game because this boy is now obsessed with Pennywise. Good on him. (laughs) Everything he does has to be it related. This kid's my hero. He even (laughs) wants to be Pennywise for Halloween. But of course, no one makes child size Pennywise costumes. (laughs) So he settled on a Pennywise tote bag from Spirit. Hell yes. I just thought it was so funny how you were absolutely right. Kids today will get their spooks from watching gamers on YouTube 24-7. And my girlfriend's daughter, on the other hand, is only three and is obsessed with the movie The Witches. This girl has good taste. Based on the Roald Dahl book and starring Angelica Houston, this kid's movie was made in 1990 and is absolutely horrifying. Agreed. The makeup and costuming for the transitions of the witches from human to witch is just true terror and i know i would not have been able to handle it at three years old i was hoping you would mention this in the podcast of course but in case you didn't know about it i wanted to tell you look it up it's so scary i totally agree that scene that transition between witch and human was horrifying mm-hmm. um I, I slap on my wrist for not bringing that up in that episode because that was a, a, a mark of my childhood as well jillian was born in 1995 and her favorite kid horror movies were the haunted mansion which I love that you brought that up with Eddie Murphy. Monster House, also love that movie. Scooby-Doo, and literally any Halloween episode on any TV show. Mm -hmm. I definitely related hard to the whole Halloween nostalgia for our generation. Uh, Thank you, Jillian, for writing in. This was a true joy to read. I love that little baby Pennywise. That's so cute. Baby Pennywise. And also made me think about when she said every Halloween episode of any TV show, uh, just a quick little plug for a contemporary show. Any Halloween episode of Bob's Burgers is pure comfort. Yes. Food. It's so it's my good. favorite. I literally, that's so funny you said that. As as I was eating dinner before we got on this episode, I, I was watching uh, The Hauntening again. Oh my gosh, it's, it's like so my good. Favorite. It's my favorite. I love Bob's Burgers so much. And yeah, their Halloween episodes are so good and so so good yeah so so clever and warm and just yeah so well done we should do somewhere somewhere in the future i think it'd be fun to do kind of like our my favorite vampire like do like our top five favorite episodes like top five favorite halloween episodes of shows yeah i would love to be fun yes so that's an idea for the future but thank you jillian for writing in yes appreciate it i love hearing about spooky little kids like spooky kids are my favorite (laughs) oh my gosh yeah and if you want to be just like jillian which you should because she's rad (laughs) write into happy harvest horror show at gmail.com and want to hear about your halloween's how you're pivoting or adjusting or how you're celebrating this year getting creative what you doing getting creative yeah and uh we'll we'll catch you guys in a couple weeks it's gonna be fun have the best halloween y'all happy halloween bye bye